take a little bit of a break from overtures and that. Uh, I mean, I, there's so many more things we can talk about in the overtures for this year at GA. It's going to be a it's going to be a long GA. Every GA that I've been to has been exhausting for the the elders, <laughs> and they go late into the night sometimes. Um, I guess it was two GAs ago that my husband was at. Uh, oh no, it was the last one because that was two years ago um, when he was there and. He would call me. It was like midnight, and they're like, "We had we had to break because it's midnight, and but we'll come back on at like six in the morning or something." And I was like, "Oh, it's painful," because they only have so much time to get through everything. You know, if something's particularly contentious. They're all they all have something to say. I mean, so one of the things you can be ready for at GA is like these guys will get up and stand in these long lines they'll have microphones everywhere and people can come up and and be prepared to give their you know they have a minute or two minutes or whatever to, to lay out their argument for whatever they're talking about and some people are clearly prepared for this they have lots of notes and you know they're all pastors so well most of them are pastors so they're all ready to talk and uh, give their like three-point sermon but um, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 all good. Well, I shouldn't say all. A lot of it's good stuff. Things that that, that they've been thinking about. It'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out in a GA, especially this year with a couple of pretty heavy um, yeah. overtures. So today, though, we're gonna take a little break from that and talk about uh, being pastors' wives. And what that's like, because we're both pastors' lives and have have been, um, we've had very different journeys for sure in our in our lives. Um, but here we are. And uh, when we first started talking, we talked about doing this podcast. Um, we had talked about kind of giving our backgrounds and talking about how we became pastors' lives and and what it's been like for us. Um, and just some of the struggles that we've had and, and just kind of give this introduction of who we are. And, and then we didn't do it. We just jumped right in <laughs> with, both, with both feet, <laughs> uh, with oh, yeah. side. but I think like to kind of take a step back and say, okay, this is why, why we're doing what we're doing. I think <laughs> because I've realized, I mean, I think we got at this a little bit at one of the podcasts, like we you and I are people who are uh, engaged in what our husbands are doing maybe a little more than some other people and we can talk about that a little bit more um, just our personalities our interests you know I've been in ministry I've been in ministry before I got married to the pastor and so I've been interested in all of this before I even met Rob and so, you know, when I married a pastor, it was like, okay, now, now I'm all in. <laughs> so for us, it's been um, just something that we, we wanted to be involved in all along. Right. Whereas some pastors' lives really don't. And I, I understand, I totally understand that. I, I can see where you're, it's a struggle to feel like you're trying to be part of the conversation where you don't always feel entirely welcome. I mean, yeah. not by our husbands, 
although sometimes even our husbands are probably like, oh, okay, you're done. <laughs> but um, <laughs> in the most gracious way possible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's also uh, discouraging when, you know, as women, we, we come into a denomination that, that will not ordain us or put us in those kinds of positions. So, you know, kind of struggling through that. And that's part of what I want to talk about as a pastor's wife, just how I've come to, to terms with that. And I, I want to just start off with, um, I, so, okay, let me start out with this. I didn't get married till I was 38. And there's many reasons for that, uh, which would be another podcast for another day. So by the time I was, I was 38, I knew what I wanted if I was going to get married. Like I had, I had definitely settled on, but so the, the story is like of January of 2012, I had this kind of uh, epiphany, I guess, with God, like just this idea, my, my, uh, the pastor at the time had preached this sermon about trusting God and, and, um, you know, a really great New Year's kind of sermon. And I just had this kind of like, okay, God, I'm going to stop trying to get married. Right. I, I'm just not going to date. I'm not going to look, I'm not going to, you know, be on, on dating websites. I'm not going to, it's not going to consume my thoughts anymore. I'm just completely giving my life to Christ and I'm going to be single and I'm going to see what it looks like. You know, I had been in ministry as a single woman for several years at that point. And I had all the struggles of being a single woman in the church and particularly in the PCA and just wrestling through all of that, feeling like if I only got married, then I would, you know, be more, you know, legitimate or something. And, uh, and so I had struggled through all of that for several years. And then 2012 came and that January, and I even, I have a blog post about it. Like I'm just giving my life over to Christ. And, uh, I, I'm just gonna, that's what I'm gonna do. And at that point, I even had considered going to the mission field. Like in February of 2012, I went to India to visit a friend and I just love the country. It's a, it's a beautiful, dark, mysterious place. And I just thought this would be amazing. And I, I, I looked into like short-term missions trips just to see what it would be like. And, and then, uh, April of 2012, the end of April, our, well, our church had been doing a pastor search. My our senior pastor had left and we'd been having public supply. So we'd have all these random pastors coming to preach every, and they would come and preach for two weeks. The end of April, 2012, a man named Rob Wooten came and it was his first time back in the pulpit for a few years because of some because of his personal life. And he preached a sermon about shepherds. He preached on Ezekiel 34. Hmm. And it was such a powerful sermon. I mean, Ezekiel 34, you could just read and it was powerful, right? Yeah. Um, and he, but he just really laid out this vision for our church on what we should be looking for for a shepherd. And it was really, I mean, people were talking about it for months after. Like, this is such a great sermon. And, um, and people were asking, like, is he looking for a church? And, you know, um, 
<laughs> because they did they totally were like we should get this guy to to uh, apply but he wasn't it's funny to think about now but um <laughs> so this is the church that i was the music director at, and we didn't meet that sunday like he and i didn't meet we didn't um you know i, I it's kind of funny it's all kind of a blur because i it's funny to think about him as the pastor that was preaching that i had just we all just really responded to like this was so good to hear and gave me so much to think about and to this day like i'm always going back to that sermon like thinking through the the responsibilities of an elder so he preached that day and then he preached the week after and also an excellent sermon and he he preached on the i am the good shepherd you know passage of, of jesus as the good shepherd john 10 i think anyway um and we didn't meet at, at that point, <clears throat> but our friend, our mutual friend who he had known for years, he, they were both in InterVarsity together. They came on staff at the same time. And so they went through training together and they had retreats together. And he, that guy was our associate pastor, my good friend Camper. Camper's like, hey, you should reach out to Rob Wooten because he's uh, an artist and we think that uh, maybe he'll be interested because at the time I was running an art ministry at, at our church. Mm -hmm. So I sent him a message on Facebook, which is a, a funny story because he doesn't, he doesn't really pay attention to Facebook messages. <laughs> so if you're trying to get a hold of Rob Wooten, don't send a Facebook message because he's <laughs> kind of like, yeah, whatever. So, um, and he didn't reply to me <laughs> for like a couple months. And I just kind of was like, all right, whatever. And then Camper followed up a couple months later, like, hey, did you ever hear from Rob? And I was like, no, that guy never wrote back to me. He's like, well, maybe you should try again. And so I went on Facebook and I was looking at his profile and I saw something in he had written that I wanted to comment on. And he had it set so only friends could comment. And so I sent him a friend request and I sent him a message and I was like, I want to comment on your on something you wrote. <laughs> and he'll tell the story that he was like, oh, you know, I think I know who this woman is. I'm not sure. We have some mutual friends, so I'll go ahead and reply to her. And then we started this long conversation on our his Facebook wall <laughs> that everybody could see. All of our friends are watching. And we, we found out afterwards a bunch, a bunch of people were like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> because we were just going back and forth all this witty banter yeah. <laughs> and then the next morning like that was like one afternoon and then the next morning he had messaged me on facebook he's like hey you know now that we've been talking all afternoon and everybody can see it let's um you want to meet up for a drink <laughs> and so we did and and that was june 15 2012 and i i almost I almost wanted to say no for two reasons. The first reason being the most important that his name is Rob and my name is Robin. <laughs> and I was like, no, that is way too silly. And <laughs> to this day, like every time somebody reintroduce ourselves, I'm like cringing. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's so and, funny yeah at one point while we were dating i was like dude can you please change your name he's like 
sure. <laughs> but yeah, so Robin, Robin. And then the second reason, of course, was that he was he still was called to ministry and he wanted to be a pastor. Mm. When I realized that this could go somewhere, which was after our first date, <laughs> um, I, you know, when you're in your 30s and you're dating, things go a lot faster because you just know, you know, we're not kidding around here. We're not, you know, teenagers. We're we're serious, especially with with kids involved too. Like he had he had two kids, and um, you know, there's just there's just a lot of factors. Like we're gonna be serious here. This is not just for fun. I mean, it is fun, but you know what I mean. Uh, so so being a pastor, wanting to be pastor. Like at the time, he was without call. He was working a desk job, but he he still felt like God was calling him into ministry. And particularly after having uh, preached a few times, like he's just like, yeah, this is what I'm I'm made to do, and and uh, people who listen to him preach will agree. Like he's just he's an excellent communicator. After that first date, and then we had a phone call. He had to go away for his job for a few days, and uh, he called me while he was away, and we were on the phone for like four hours, and just telling our whole life story. And and then after that phone call, I. I said, God, why, why is this man in my life right now? And I need to figure out, like, I want to either end it now so that there's no hearts broken or I'm all in. Like, I, I'm going to see where this goes. And so I called up our friend, Camper, and his wife. And I said, invite me over for dinner because I want to pick your brains <laughs> about what it's like to be a pastor and a pastor's wife because I, I don't know that that's what I want. Like I, I have this idea in my head of what it's like and I don't think that's what I want to do <laughs> with my life. And so uh, we, we got together and, and I asked them all the questions. Like I asked them the hard questions. I'm like, what is the worst thing about being a pastor's wife? And what, what are the things that have made you want to rip out your hair? And, and I asked them all those things and they were honest and, and thank God for Heather like she, she was not a typical pastor's wife in a lot of ways and she was purposeful about that and um and i really appreciated that from her because i i needed to know that that was okay to not be the person that i had in my head the the woman who you know <laughs> i mean the stereotypical like you know i organize the potlucks and i do children's church and if I can play the piano, I play the piano every Sunday. And I mean, of course I was doing that anyway, so that was fine. But, um, you know, all, all the kind of stereotypical things that pastor's wives do, that wasn't me. And so we, we had that conversation about what that could look like and the pressures that, that pastor's wives can have to fill this kind of role of really the gender role, right? I mean, if, if we're gonna be, you know, honest about it. It's it's kind of this gender role of you take care of the children and you're in the kitchen. That's that's what you do. Yeah. And then we also just it being lonely at times. That uh, being a pastor's wife can be tricky, and that your friendships are always difficult to navigate. You know, when you when you have a friend as an adult, it's. Uh, you know what you have to kind of do some figuring out like what do i what does this friendship 
based on and what are, what are we each trying to get out of it? And when you're the pastor's wife and you are struggling to kind of make sense of your role in your church, if you do that with someone in the church and you're honest about your struggles, depending on that person, it can come back to bite you. Yeah. I've certainly experienced that. I'm sure you have also, you know, um, in particular, one, one person in particular was... She wanted to be like my BFF because I was the pastor's wife. And I only really discerned that because of things that I had read and kind of thought about mm. and realized at one point, like th- in her mind, there was this kind of like, you know, I'm really close with the pastor and his wife. And, and that got some kind of, it, it gave her some kind of, um, sort of looking for uh standing or whatever in yeah. the church. you know be, and I, I realized that because she would always tell people like oh you know we we had Robin Robin over for lunch the other day and and like she'd work it into conversations that were like what, what was the point of that right <laughs> um and uh yeah. yeah which is just a weird thing to me but anyway um mm-hmm. and so you know trying to figure that out with people has been difficult like you know I don't I'm not one, there are certain people who will say pastor's wives should not have any friends in, like any close friends in their church. And I totally get, like, I understand why people get to that place because it is hard. It's hard to discern who's trustworthy. And I don't necessarily mean that they're evil people, but some people just really don't understand the limits of what they can say and can't say to people right like we've all been in that prayer meeting where someone says a little too much about someone to pray for right um and so there are certain people who just don't who don't understand that and then and then there's also this like I don't want people to feel like I'm closer to certain people than others because there is some amount of hurt to that and I get that and you know I, I understand what that's like and so it takes a lot of discernment and work for a pastor's wife to to figure all that out to to navigate those friendships and it can be pretty lonely you know I'm thankful that I've been able to find good friends I mean I've been able to find one friend in each of the places that I've been so far and that's really all I I need like to have that one person I know that I can be honest with and it won't come back at me I feel like I'm not alone, you know, just in reaching out to other pastors' wives. Um, it's been, it's, it's been a mixed bag. I mean, I'll be honest, uh, you know, there are some pastors' wives who are very old school, who are very like, and by that, I mean, they just, you know, you, you don't, don't get involved, you know, don't be emotional about it. Don't, you know, whatever the church business is, you, that's not your concern. Just let your husband, let the men deal with that, right? <laughs> like that, those kind of people, right? You know, those people. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, then there's the way other side where it's like, they're, some other women, pastor's wives, who are super emotional about everything and take everything super personally and can't differentiate between like the things that are actually things we should be concerned about 
and then the things that we can let go. Right. I, I've mentioned to you before, the PCA has a, a group called Paracaleo, which is just this group of coming alongside pastors' wives in particular. They started out just church planters' wives years ago, and it was just, it was just focused on um, church planters and their wives, and, and that there was all this there was so many resources for church planters and the the pastor getting ready to plant but there wasn't a lot of resources for the women for the wives and and because they're very much I mean they're church planters too Paracleo was kind of born out of that like let's help support the women going into this and and how do they how do they prepare so the the material that's come out for Paracleo is excellent a lot of it's based on uh, sunship material, if you're familiar with that, Jack Miller, um, Tim Keller very much borrows from, from sonship principles, just being a child of Christ and your identity and your standing in Christ. Um, and that just kind of relieves you of a lot of the burdens of having to perform. Like, you know, instead of, I mean, church planting is a whole other podcast, but church planting is very much performative. It's all like you are proving yourself that, I mean, in a way that even just going to a church as a pastor of established church is in some ways performative. Church planning is like a hundred times that, like you have to prove that you're, you're doing something in church planning and that kind of pressure can build really quickly. Anyway, uh, all that to say, the paracleal stuff is really helpful, was helpful for me personally it reminded me a lot of of the things I already knew that I was kind of forgetting. I thought about some of the books I've read and how they were not helpful, but I'm not going to go into that because I don't think that's the right way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) One book I'll say was absolutely, I feel like it should be mandatory reading for pastors and their wives uh, is Resilient Ministry. I say that one all the time because it is, it's, it's absolutely essential to understanding ministry in general. I mean, it would have been helpful for me even as a single woman in ministry, like just thinking through some of it, but it's been absolutely helpful for me as a wife of a pastor. And I highly recommend doing it if you can with your husband, because, you know, it's really, it's for him as well even just doing it for yourself and reading through, I mean, it's pretty easy to go through. It gives you a lot to kind of consider as you're, as you're trying to figure out what it means to be in ministry together. When did you and Rob get married? 2012, the end of 2012. Okay. So you met, dated and got married within the same year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Six months. Yeah. June 15th was our first date, and then we got married December 29th. Okay. We would have gotten married sooner, but we, because um, we knew, when we knew, we knew. We were just like, okay, this is, this is it. But then we were, and we were thinking about just having a small wedding, you know, just a couple people, a handful of people, go even just go down to town hall, right? Like, we, we were just like, whatever. And then the more we thought about it, the more it's like, no, we need to make this a big deal for for our sake and for all of our friends and family I mean that that's a whole other story but you know my my family didn't think I was ever getting married and (laughs) then (laughs) and he of course had been through a very public notorious divorce with his people and so 
Um, it was really, I mean, we had a ton of people come to our wedding, like 300, I think, a little oh. over 300, which packed out the church. Like we had an open invitation. Anyone who wanted to come, please come. And it was very different that people hated it. Some people hated that. They thought it was like improper or whatever. And then other people were like, oh, that's great. We love it. But we did. We were just like, whoever wants to come, just show up, just come and celebrate with us. And so we packed and we had standing room only for our wedding, for the ceremony. And it was like the longest wedding ever. <laughs> it was so long. <laughs> it, was, it was a full church service. Like it, like it was, a, it was church. And then there's a little part of, with a wedding ceremony in it, <laughs> which is great. We loved it. it was, I would absolutely do it the same way again. And then the reception, like we just had, you know, a buffet and we had some dancing and all that. And we just had people from all over come and celebrate with us. People we, we didn't even really expect. Like I had friends that I had kept in touch with from high school that drove down from New York to come. Yeah the wedding because they were just so excited and they're like yeah I'll go to a wedding <laughs> yeah and that's what it's about like that's what I loved about it was that it was it was just this reflection of of what the church should be like right like it should be we're celebrating we're celebrating our wedding and we want everyone to celebrate with us so anyway, yeah <laughs> yeah so that's, that's really cool yeah I mean I you you and I both I think grew up in similar circumstances we both grew up in the church or in yeah. christian homes. yeah and i was educated in a christian school from the time i was in preschool all the way through my bachelor's degree in college my father is a christian school teacher and he still is um he has been for 45 years i think um and so by the time i got into high school which is what he teaches math and math related sciences mostly although he christian school you end up teaching other things too like bible and art and drama is not very many teachers so you kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> sort of put everything together anyway um so by the time i got to high school it's pretty much like everybody knew my dad Everybody knew my dad in the elementary school that I was in too. And so, and I'm the oldest, I'm the oldest of six children. And so um, when you talk about, you know, your identity, I don't think I really ever thought about like, who am I? I think it just, I was, you know, I'm the oldest of six children. I'm my father's daughter. Like that's pretty much what the answer always was. So that's kind of how I was known. And I didn't mind it actually. I. I think I was real, really close to my family. And I think in some ways a little unhealthy um, by the time I left for college, like I only went to college an hour away from my house. And even that felt like too far <laughs> because that's the kind of person I was. So a little too, a little too codependent, a little too interdependent, but I loved it. And I stayed, I was only going to do a two-year Bible program. Um, but then I stayed and did my bachelor's degree there. And I did a guy for four years at college that I did not marry. Um, and it was pretty serious. At least I thought it was. And um, I mean, he said it was, but obviously it wasn't. He graduated and left. We ended up breaking up over the phone. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, summer. that's a whole other story. But, um, but that really, it, it, 
impacted me in in a in similar ways to what you're saying being 38 when you're dating and get married it's like I have been through enough of a relationship and that was the second pretty long-term relationship I've been in I was in a relationship in high school and I know people say high school relationships aren't that whatever but it was for me it was and I thought I was going to marry him and didn't and then I was dating this guy for four years in college I thought I was going to marry him and I didn't and so Tim actually was in the band with the guy that I was dating. So we were all like in the same group of friends. So I knew Tim, we were friends for the, my whole college years. And he was a missions major. When I broke up with the guy that we broke up, um, I was pretty much of a mess. And I lived in an apartment underneath the apartment of that Tim and some guys, some other friends lived in. And so like, I was just physically ill very much. Oh, there's the phone. Very much, very much a mess emotionally, just totally done. And, and Tim and another good friend of mine took me out um, to get my mind off these things and make me feel better. <laughs> it's the first and only time I ever had a Long Island iced tea um, without any food being yeah, emotionally yeah. a mess. Yeah. And later we laugh about this because I was like, that probably wasn't the best thing. For me. <laughs> probably wasn't. But anyway, he was always such a good friend. And I, and I remember thinking back, like I tried to set him up with people and couldn't understand why he wasn't with somebody because he was just such a great guy. Eventually, you know, God changed my heart and I, I started to see him in a different light the first time we went on a date um, that wasn't, you know, just like the friends hanging out. The first time we went on our real date, I got in the car with him and I just said to him, if you aren't in this long-term looking for marriage, I don't, I don't want to go on a date. <laughs> Good for you. He was like, um, well, I don't want to get married tomorrow. I wouldn't <laughs> But I wouldn't be dating if I didn't think that that's where the direction it was, would go. Like, I'm not, I'm like, okay, because I just don't want to play. I'm tired yeah. of it. Like, I don't, I yeah. do not want to pour my whole self into yet another relationship only yeah. to have it be like, you know, find out the guy was just having fun or whatever. And like yeah. you said, I mean, obviously we're having fun, but I want to be having fun heading somewhere, not yeah. just like forever here. So anyways, when I met him, he was a missions major. That's what he graduated with. I was an, an education major. So, and when you go to a Bible college, everybody majors in Bible and then they also major in something else. So, so I have a bachelor's degree in Bible and a bachelor's degree in, in elementary education. And he has a bachelor's degree in Bible and a bachelor's degree in missions. And we actually went to um, a missions conference with greater Europe mission because his internship was in Belgium with greater Europe mission. And that's really where we thought we were headed. We went to that. We went to the missions conference. I met a couple of people there. It was really a great experience. And we really thought that's the direction we were going to get married and then raise funds and, and go overseas. And it didn't happen. I don't know why it didn't happen except for the fact that it just didn't happen. Some of it, I think, was we both graduated with a bit of debt, and that was something with Greater Europe Mission. They actually, they figure in your debt with you, what you raise, so you raise to pay off your debt, and you're also raising for your support, 
I guess it was just too much. I don't really know. I think we're going to work for a little while and then go into the mission field, but it didn't happen. And Tim did just other jobs. He, he managed a bookstore. He, um, did kitchen design <laughs> and he just did like oh, yeah. a bunch of different things that was like okay it's fine he's just figuring out what he wants to do and and I taught you know so that's kind of what we did and then um in 2008 I was pregnant with our second boy and um Tim lost his job suddenly because he was doing kitchen design at that point and there was, you know, 2008, the housing market was, you know, there was that big crash and there was all this stuff. And so, and he was really not great at his job, to be honest with you. He was losing money for the company because this was not great. And he knows it. He would say the same thing. <laughs> it's not what he was meant to do. It's not meant to work with numbers or sell. He's not a salesperson. Um, so anyway, he lost his job rather suddenly. And so that was a huge kind of shakeup for us, like, mm -hmm. um, because with that went health insurance and I'm like eight months pregnant and I'm working, I wasn't working. I went back to work at a bookstore <laughs> going to support us. Like what is happening? So we were in a PCA church. We were married in a PCA church and, um, neither of us were raised PCA, but when we were in college, that was church that was closest to us was and uh, our favorite professors were and so we ended up just kind of being really persuaded into that mindset and we are both very much reformed covenant theologians like that's a joke of ours that we went into a dispensational non-denominational college and came out covenant <laughs> reformed theologians so go um, but we, we did get married in PCA church and we were working with the youth group there. We loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. Both of us were volunteers there. I loved teaching. I loved working with the teens. It was just one of my favorite things, building relationships with the girls. And I, I really enjoyed it. So when he lost his job, he went onto the PCA website just to look because he had already applied at like Home Depot and I don't know, Walmart and nobody would hire him. And I was like, what? Why is he not getting a job here? Like anybody could get a job there be able to get a job so he went onto the pca website and looked and there was a church in our presbytery that was looking for a youth pastor so he applied with his only experience as a volunteer youth leader and a bible degree you know he had worked with youth when he was in college too um and that was kind of his he enjoyed that but anyway he was one of i think like 14 applicants and he got the job and uh, in Sus we were in Susquehanna Valley Presbytery, which is um, a very big presbytery. And we lived in the northern end of the, of the county. His job that he got was in the southern end, very southern end, almost like 15, 20 minutes from Maryland border and in Pennsylvania. So we had to move, obviously. It was like an hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> ministry there. So that all worked out fine. Like I was worried about how all that was going to work out, but I mean, I can clearly see God's hand in all of it, but I will say there's, there's different things that happen along the way that have greatly impacted me for better or for worse. Um, one was when I told my mom, that he got this job as a youth pastor, her response to me was, how are you going to be a pastor's wife? And she didn't mean it like in a negative way. You know, I know it sounds uh, yeah. it crossed that way to me. I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know how I'm, I didn't go into this marriage thinking I was marrying a pastor. Like I, there's no classes for how to be a pastor's wife. In my <laughs> mind, I thought we are just going to do what we're doing voluntarily, except now Tim's going to get paid for it. Like mm-hmm. that was what I thought we're going to. And the thing that was attractive to me about this job is that at the time they had parents that formed a, a youth committee, a uh, youth ministry team that worked with the youth pastor and they were very passionate about family-based youth ministry. There's a whole book on it. We read the book. It was like this big thing. So in my mind, this means family-based youth ministry means that the youth pastor's family is going to be involved in youth ministry. That's not what they meant. <laughs> they meant that the teens' families would be involved in youth ministry. And Tim and I had a lot of conflict over that uh, early in our marriage and early in his ministry. Because like you said, I am someone who, even with the mindset of going into missions, my gender didn't matter. I would, I would be a part of the ministry. I don't want to be ordained. I've never thought that I wanted to be ordained. I, don't, I will not ever pursue ordination. I don't want to be a pastor. That's not it. But I want to be involved in youth ministry and or in ministry and not necessarily not necessarily youth group, but I want to be involved in ministry. And and so I think it took me a long time to figure out what was my role. Um, I love my children very much at four and I want to be clear about like they're not a burden to me and and mothering them parenting them and raising them is not a burden to me but um it's not the only thing I've felt called to from the beginning when we had our children we said they were entering our worlds and we were going to teach them how to be a part of it and raise them to be a part of ministry and be a part of a church and be a part of a family We weren't going to stop what we were doing to enter their world. So that's kind of the mindset we have taken, but it was hard. It was so very, very hard. And I will, I will say it almost cost us our marriage and it's me. I almost cost us our marriage because I wanted to be there, wanted to be there with the kids and we were a distraction to Tim and, and that's not his fault, you know? And so it took me a while to realize I needed to just not be a part of it the way I wanted to be a part of it. And I needed to be with the kids. And that was where I was called for that season. With the intent that as the kids got older, I would be able to be more involved in youth ministry when they got there and and then in the future. And then the last couple of years of our ministry there, the church kind of blew up. Um, there was a lot of problems with leadership and a lot of heartache and we had to leave. <laughs> it's this really, really long story, very short. Um, <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't stay anymore. So, so Tim looked for, started looking for a new job and he got the job that he's at now as a solo pastor. So he's the only pastor of this, of this church. And we were here two years and this is a whole different ballgame, you know, being, uh, a senior solo pastor's wife versus being a youth pastor's wife. And I felt like I was just figuring out what, like (laughs) what to do as a youth pastor's wife. And now I'm somebody different. 
Um, but again, that whole question of like, who am I? What do I really love? What do I like to do? I mean, there's a lot of things I know that I love and I like to do, but I don't know what that means in, in light of, of his job and his ministry. I do love the church, uh, big C and little C <laughs> and, and I have a, a heart for, I have a heart for the church being who, who God has called her to be for her to reflect him well. And that does not mean perfection. That means honesty, uh, an honest look at our sin when it's, when we're confronted with it, it means a repentance, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And if the sin is public, the repentance is public, the change in heart, the work towards repair and restoration uh, and reconciliation and all those free things to make it new again is what the church is called to do. And I have a heart for that. I think the reason why I have a heart for that is partly my personality. Um, I am a perfectionist. I am the older brother in the prodigal son story. I battle regularly legalism and um, trying to find that balance between faith and works. James is one of my favorite books in the Bible. <laughs> um, mostly because he's saying, you need to show some fruit. And I'm like, yes, that's right. I need to show some fruit. But there's also so much grace involved too. And it's, it's, it matters. Our, our phrasing matters. I don't, I don't work out my salvation in order to earn my salvation or in order to earn the love of Christ, because in Christ, the love that God has for me, I know this, I can do nothing that would make him love me more or, and I can do nothing that would make him love me less. But it's because he loves me and because he's shown me such mercy and grace that I want to be a person who is merciful and gracious and just and humble and and all of those things that I would not naturally be without him and without the spirit so I have a passion for all these things I love to read love love to read and I love to teach what I'm learning I don't care I need to do. <laughs> I just want to talk about it. Like, yeah. and if you yeah. learn something in the conversation, great, you know, and I learned something from you. And like, I just, I'm, if I could be a student forever, that's what I would be a student teacher. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so what does that look like for, as a pastor's wife? You know, I don't know. I, I still feel like I don't really fit in. I am not a person who performs well. I, what you see is what you get. I, uh, I really do wear my heart on my sleeve for better or for worse. I am, I am very transparent and that has caused a lot of problems because I have had to learn who I can be transparent with. And to me, that feels like lying. And so I have a really hard time with it. Uh, But you're right. I think there's, there's people it's, it's someone once shared with me, you have to care for people in a way Um, And part of transparency is caring for people and knowing what they can handle of your story and what they can't, because not everybody is at the same place that you are at and no, not everybody's the same place in their walk with the Lord. Not everybody's as mature. Some people are much more mature. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. you have to find, you have to get to know people to find out where they're at in order to love them well and know 
what you can share with them and what you can't. I struggle with it because I have found that being transparent produces transparency in others. And that's what I want. I want people to feel safe, to know they can share with me anything. And I want to love them well through it. But then I need that too. I need somewhere that I can share. People can love me through it because when we've talked before, like, you know, I know I'm blind to my sin. So I need someone who's going to be able to be honest with me about what they see in my life. But it can't just be anybody. It has to be somebody that I feel safe with or I won't be able to take it from them, you know? And the same, like, I want to be able to speak in other people's lives, the things that I see that they wouldn't see necessarily. But that's very difficult to know how to do as a pastor's wife and feel like, can I share my struggles? Because sometimes my struggle is my husband. Sometimes my struggle is my marriage. I love my husband and I am, and I am very happy with our, with our marriage and relationship. He is my best friend. He was that before we got, before we dated and got married, he was a close friend. And I think that was like, there's no one else I want to do life with, but let's be honest. Like, you know, he's a, a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ too. And so am I. And when you have two sinners in relationships, there's going to be some problems that you have to work through. It's not always lollipops and rainbows. So I don't even like lollipops, but um, (laughs) whatever the nice thing is, it's not always that. Yeah. So I think that's a struggle because like, who do you share that with without fear of him losing his job? You know, I don't want him to lose his job because we have a struggle in our, in our relationship. And, and I kind of alluded to this in the youth ministry piece of, you know, when we were struggling it was hard on our marriage. And one, I, I specifically remember a conversation we had in our kitchen at the time. I remember where I was standing. I know what I was wearing, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember in tears, you know, just saying to him, I think I have to leave because if I don't leave, you can't be who God's calling you to be. Like I am keeping you from doing your ministry well because I don't know how to do this. And I, and because I'm expecting too much of you because I need you too much in this phase of life. And at that point we had three kids, three, two, and an infant. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I don't, part of me think they was probably just hormonal too. Uh-huh. I, think I, don't know. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't do this. This isn't what I signed up for. Um, yeah. But in my, in my head, I think I really thought I was holding him back and it would be better if I, if I left, it'd be better for his ministry, which obviously it would not be. And he was like, you're being so ridiculous. Like I need <laughs> just as much as you need me and you're not going yeah. anywhere. And you know, you got, I got counseling. So everything's fine for those listening. <laughs> We're good. Everything's fine. This was like right. 10 years ago. That's um, it. Now, it, I, now it's lollipops and raindrops. <laughs> now it is. It wasn't then. <laughs> so so how do you handle all this stuff as like, I don't know, you know, like I'm not paid. Yeah. We're not paid to do this. Like everything we do is being watched as if we were and judged yeah. as if we were being paid. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, so many people in the church are so loving and gracious and kind. And I appreciate, you know, they're just so grateful for anything that I do but I see a need and I want to do it. Like I want to fix it. That's yeah. my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, there's, that's the, like, when I say I'm the older brother, it's like, I, 
I'm a rule follower. I get angry when people don't follow the rules and there doesn't seem to be any consequences. You know, like I have to really work. God is working in my heart continuously in that way. But at the same time, like I'm, I want to fix things. Like I'm, I, I guess I'm a reformer to, you know, <laughs> very much a reformer because I see all the problems and I want to fix them. Like, yeah. And so when you're in a small church where you're trying to grow and there's not a lot of people to do the ministry and you want to bring people in, you got to have programs or you got to have things to bring people in, but there's no one to do those things. Yeah. And the temptation for me is to do it all. Yeah. And obviously I can't, first of all, because I am not the savior of the world. We have one. His name is Jesus, not me. Um, and everyone can be thankful for that. And <laughs> um, and second of all, because it's just like I need to, I need to figure out and do what I love to do, not just what I feel like I need to do in order yeah. for the church to survive. Because if I don't love it, it won't be done well. Yeah. Um, and I, so I need to find out what that is. And that's been a, a struggle for me. I think right now it's definitely women's ministry only because not the same way as maybe some Bible studies that I had, like, I want to study the Bible. <laughs> I don't want to just do like topical, you know, yeah. like, um, how to bake bread in Jesus name. How do you bake bread in Jesus name? There's a place for that. I'm not saying you can't do that. Like, I know people love that. So that's good. There's a place for that. But that's not what I want to do. Like yeah. I wanna I wanna get deep into like original language and looking at context and figure out like uh historical context. And I wanna look at maps and I wanna see where people were and like what they were doing. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm probably too much for a lot of people. Uh, I'm too much for me sometimes. But that's you know, that's how I got here. I didn't sign up for it. Yeah. Um, this is where I'm at. For me, it always comes back to, like you were saying, what do you love to do? What are you gifted at doing? What are your gifts? Like, I think one of the things that happens is, and I, we can tell stories about this all day, like we see needs in the church and we think, well, you know, you should just fill those needs. Mm-hmm. instead of saying I mean there's always needs right instead of saying what do I love to do what do I have talents in what can I offer the church and let's do that let's figure out a way to use that mm-hmm. um you know we when we were in this, this is particularly true in smaller churches that need revitalization you know well we we used to have all these programs and now we don't have them anymore because no one is able to do it or people have you know, gotten older and don't have as much energy or whatever. And so then they hire a young couple to come in, you know, a young couple with kids, like, hey, we're gonna just change the whole world for them because, you know, we're here as this young couple with kids, right? And that's, and, and so now you gotta do everything, right? You gotta bring all those programs back. You gotta do all the, the fun stuff that the church used to do instead of saying, okay, what, what are we good at? what what's our our passion what can we offer to the church and do those things and it may not look anything like what the church used to look like and that's okay Mm -hmm. 
because some of those things don't need to happen to grow a church. You know, like a lot of people have this idea that all these like programs or, you know, kids, everybody's like, well, you don't have enough kids stuff. Well, you know, to some degree, I think we've put a lot of emphasis on programs that weren't, they were growing the church in numbers. But, but not they, deep. They no weren't growing the church deep. And they, they weren't, yeah, there's, there's no discipleship or there, there was no real effort to ground families into the church and into God's word and into life together. And so when the program's in a way, it's like, okay, we're going to go to another church. Right. Because you um, can always find a church that will have it. And it's, yeah. you know, it's like it, it has become more of like an entertaining consumerism in, in a yeah. way. I mean, I get it because I want things for my kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I do. I want my kids to memorize scripture and, and I want them to have friends that are in the church. And I want, you know, I yeah. want them to have fun activities and, and really love. I want them to love the church. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to love the church, not. Yeah. I mean, they, to, to love the church. Uh, cost of her, no, like, yeah. I mean, as it, Jesus loves the, the church, church for like the way that we um, were a family together, growing right. together, committed to each other, committed to the word of God. We don't love the church in the same way we love you know, going to Chuck E. Cheese, right? Right, like, right. I mean, I mean, that's kind of what people, you know, a lot, a lot of people just have kind of become this, yeah, like we're, we're going to be, um, you know, Chuck E. Cheese because everybody loves it. Uh, not everybody. <laughs> I, I said before, this is a good time to go to Chuck E. Cheese because they wipe everything down every time you use anything. You wipe it down with Clorox. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, so when, when we got to one church that, that needed our help, you know, it was, it was like, okay, well, we got to do all these programs, you know, to bring families back. And it was like, well, you know, we, what I want to do, I mean, I'm not necessarily, necessarily saying, no, I'm not going to do this because we did some of those things and they were good. You know, we did like an Easter egg hunt and, and we, but then we invited people to the church, right? things that I did early on in ministry that was a mistake was I did take on too much and things are getting done but only because I was doing them instead of identifying volunteers people who also had a vision for what I was doing and bringing them on board early on to say you you all need to take ownership of this it can't just be what I'm doing for this ministry it's got to be the the church at large. Like people in the church need to have this vision. And yeah. So, um, that that's something I learned early on. Like I cannot do everything because one one of the ministries when I left the church it just stopped because no nobody else really was there. Right. That's what I was going to say when we um, were interviewing for this job, when Tim was interviewing for this job and interviewed me too. This was one of the things that we both said together to the church very much, and I. And I said it again after they gave us the call. I want to make sure the search committee and the church recognizes, like, we're going to come. We're going to live in the community. We're going to love people. I'm going to be involved in the community where my kids are involved. Um, I'm going to I'm going to love people, but I can't guarantee that that's that they're going to come to the church. You know, like I can't. And yeah. if you're if you're just hiring us to grow the church, that's not going to work 
for two reasons. One, because because the con we don't know the community, like the congregation knows the community. You've grown up here. You've loved it. You like you love the people. You live with them. You know them. We're just here. We just moved from like states away. We have to get to know people first before we can even start to build relationships and then invite them. So you know people. So you have to grow your church yeah. uh, by inviting your neighbors and bringing yeah. them in. And the second reason is because this church belongs to Jesus. Every local church belongs to Jesus. We are not building little kingdoms for ourselves and for my family and my pastor or my husband as the pastor. Because if we do, when we leave, your kingdom will fall apart first. And second, because that's not what God has called us to do. And that is the danger of being a pastor, I think, is the temptation to build your own little kingdom. But that's not what the church is. The church belongs to Jesus. And he has to be the main focus. He has to be the anchor. Jesus has to be the reason that people are coming because he is the reason why they will stay. And it cannot be a human pastor. It just can't be. Yeah. It has to be Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But we, we, can, we can help our churches better understand yeah, and I think it's been trending that way, that we, we better understand the roles of pastors, families, wives, and children. Pastors' kids is a whole other conversation. I love the book by Barnabas Piper, Pastors' Kids. Uh, it's, it's fantastic because, um, you know, it gave me a lot to think about uh, in terms of how I'm raising my children and the expectations put on them. You know, and I think the PCA this is a broad general statement, of course, but from my experience, I think the PCA does a fairly good job in understanding that the, we're, we're not asking more of the pastor's kids than any other kids. Like, that's been my experience so far. I could be wrong. There's probably churches that are terrible. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, for the most part, so far, we, we feel like most people have been pretty uh, gracious and understanding about the pastor's kids. And, you know, my kids are going to act out as much as the next person's kids. And, you know, my, my children, the only difference, my, my children will run up to my husband while he's preaching <laughs> up onto the <laughs> platform <laughs> or during during the Lord's Supper. Early on, my children, he would often do the Lord's Supper with one child in his arms <laughs> because, you know, early on, they always wanted to be there with him, which is, I mean, it's great. I love it. I think it's beautiful. It makes me cry. I feel like it's beautiful. Right. Some people are like, oh, man, those kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those kids are so distracting <laughs> yeah oh so, it's so funny just listening to you talk um, about that kind of stuff you know because tim is so easily distracted and we often will sit in the front yeah. and my two teenage boys during the lord's supper at times have tried to like get his attention while he's you know when they're passing the elements out and there's playing yeah. music and he's just standing up front yeah and he won't even look at them because yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows what they're trying to do and right. they're they're like trying to make faces and all this we've had that discussion many times about no 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 this is a serious like stop it just yeah. stop it <laughs> Yep, but that's, yep, yep. that also shows, I mean, I think the relationship 
too that they have you know that we yeah. kind of we do laugh a lot together about a lot of things it's it's hard to pull it all back to some serious okay now no for real like right yeah. now we're having a serious <laughs> conversation yeah, yeah. like yeah stop that stop <laughs> hanging over the couch right now like you know you, you need to sit up and let's really talk here yeah but um I think that would be another a really good conversation for another time about just kids and and what that looks like I think you you made some really good points about well we maybe didn't sign up for this position or there is no like classes we don't get a yeah. good get to go to seminary on how to be a pastor's wife or and there are some books out there, but I have yet to read ones that are very, very helpful. But I think you made a good point that it's it's just like any other relationship in a way, any other marriage in which we did sign up to marry this, to support this man um, and what he does, whatever that might be. And I, and I think that's been a journey for me with Tim having so many different positions in the beginning and we're not really sure what direction we were gonna go it was like, okay, right now I'm this. And then now he's this and, you know, um, so this is where we settled and, and I'm happy with it. You know, I, I, I do, I do think he, his gifts are being used, um, in, in good ways. But one of the things I wanted to say was, I think the good marriages and good, good pastors marriages can help, can be transparent and reflective in a way that is a reflection of how the church should be operating in, in general. And so one of the things I very much appreciate about Tim is his respect and honor for me and my opinions on things. Mm-hmm. He, he asks me regularly, what do I think about this? Or what is my perspective on this? Or he will read his sermon to me and he will say, you know, just listen through, through the, you know, the ears of a woman Am I saying, could I say something differently here? Or, um, you know, obviously I'm not going to speak for all women. I'm not, you know, that, but I can still hear things that maybe he would miss. Um, And the same is true of our relationship the other way around. There are things that he sees that I don't see and he can help me um, to understand things differently through that relationship. But we need one another. And he will say this, you know, I'm not trying to puff up or make it more like that our role is more important or whatever. But the reality is we need each other. And he will say that his ministry is better because of his wife, because we work together. And that is one thing that I think I want to see reflected in our churches better, that we would be utilizing the gifts of all of the body of Christ for the betterment and building up of the body but also for the ministry and for sharing the gospel and showing that the gospel has real application in the unity of the way in which we work with one another together to build each other up and to be light in, in a dark world. I think there is an absolutely a reason why Jesus prayed in the upper room for the unity of his own disciples and for all who would hear the message afterwards, because for many of us, we would not even be in the same room together were it not for the Holy Spirit, right? And yeah. so we need to work a lot harder, I think, at utilizing one another's gifts. Because right now, I think what ends up happening is we're hurting ourselves in a lot of ways because we've like cut off half the body yeah. or or bound it in a way that it's not being used. We need to rethink some of that stuff because I think it's hurting, we're hurting ourselves.
Yeah, absolutely. 